Hello and welcome to the Luxembourg History Podcast. My name's Tom Tutton and I'm your host for our second series. Today we're looking at how the Grand Duchy survived the end of World War I intact. We'll look at Luxembourg and the Treaty of Versailles, how a mutiny nearly resulted in a socialist republic, and how independence was eventually secured through a referendum. We hope you'll enjoy the podcast. So the story of World War I in the Grand Duchy has been the focus of an episode in our previous series, from the comical failed invasion of August 1914 to the experience of German occupation, the tales of the men who fought for Luxembourg against the German Empire, and political turmoil at home. But one question remains to be explored. How exactly did Luxembourg, which was seen by the victorious Allies as a Germanophile country, survive as an independent country after the war? Well, it was a close-run thing. The German invasion of 1914 had placed Luxembourg's government in a very difficult situation. It officially took a neutral stance on the war, refusing to declare for either side, but its position within the German Customs Union and the presence of German troops on its territory ensured that the Allies viewed the country as a hostile German satellite. These essential facts were also accompanied by several distasteful events, which served to sour post-war relations between Luxembourg and the Allies. After the German invasion, for instance, the French and Belgian ministers in Luxembourg were expelled from the country. And just two weeks later, German Kaiser Wilhelm II was received by Grand Duchess Mary Adelaide, casting doubt over the government's proclamation of its neutrality. On the economic front, too, it was clear that Luxembourg's iron and steel industries were contributing directly to the German war effort, directly or indirectly helping to produce the military material needed on the battlefields. And even worse, in the late summer and autumn of 1918, with German armies clearly on the retreat, the Grand Duchess and her government under Leon Kaufmann committed two fatal mistakes. They organised a reception for the German Chancellor, and they allowed Marie Adelaide's sister Antonia to marry Ruprecht, Crown Prince of Bavaria and a key German commander on the Western Front. The optics could not have been worse for Luxembourg. Now Germany's plans for Luxembourg were fairly clear. A German victory in the First World War would quite probably have resulted in Luxembourg joining the Reich in some form, but it was not the only country with ambitions over the Grand Duchy at the end of the war. To the north, the Belgians had had their eyes on Luxembourg ever since the partition of 1839 separated the Grand Duchy from the new Belgian province of Luxembourg. In Brussels, the Grand Duchy was often seen as an artificial construct, and it was referred to in some circles as the Lost Province, even though its actual inhabitants felt little loyalty to the Belgians. Luxembourg's relationship with France, meanwhile, had been the subject of centuries of conflict, from Louis XIV's 1684 siege to the Revolutionary Army's 1795 invasion and the Luxembourg Crisis of 1867. In the years preceding the outbreak of war, some French politicians and military officers had even started to worry about the so-called Luxembourg Gap in France's defences. Negotiations between the French and Belgians over the future of Luxembourg were carried out throughout the war, with interested parties on both sides signalling their intention to annex the country. But this was perhaps one of the factors that would eventually help to keep the Grand Duchy independent. Both France and Belgium were interested in the Luxembourg question, and neither thus had a predominant interest. Furthermore, both were afraid of antagonising the other with a demand for annexation. Meanwhile, events were well underway in Luxembourg itself. On November the 10th, 1918, just a day before the armistice which ended the fighting on the Western Front, 
communists in Luxembourg City followed the example of Karl Liebknecht and Rosa Luxemburg in Berlin by declaring a republic in Luxembourg City, which was quickly quashed. The next day, a similar uprising took place in esch sur alzette and although it was equally unsuccessful, it caused a crisis of confidence in the Chamber of Deputies. On November the 12th, the socialists and liberals in the chamber introduced a motion calling for the abdication of Grand Duchess Mary Adelaide, which was only narrowly defeated by 21 votes to 19. The Grand Duchess position was now clearly under threat. Amidst general confusion, the war had now come to an end. German armies remained in Luxembourg until the 19th of November, while the first Allied troops to arrive in the Grand Duchy, a handful of them actually on the same day as the German retreat, were the American troops from the 3rd Army, who were received with great fanfare on the 21st. French troops also began to arrive from the 22nd, and they too were welcomed with celebrations and the Marseillaise. But despite these joyous scenes, it was far from clear what would happen with Luxembourg, and the country was soon placed under an unofficial French military occupation. Of central importance was the Grand Duchy's economic future. The Zollverein agreements with Germany, which went back to 1842, were cancelled in December 1918, leaving Luxembourg in desperate need of new economic partners. Then, in late December 1918, Luxembourg's new Prime Minister Emil Reuter travelled to Paris to hold talks with the French Foreign Minister Stephen Pichon. The talks went disastrously. Pichon initially refused to meet Reuter, and when he relented, he expressed to the Prime Minister that he had nothing to say to the representatives of a German-leaning princess. This was a boon for opponents of Luxembourg's royal family. The clear message from France was that Maria Adelaide had to go, but the question remained who or what would replace her. Meanwhile, in Luxembourg itself, tensions were boiling. The freezing conditions of the previous winter had left many Luxembourgers in fear of another period of serious hunger. This had led to a wave of anger against merchants who were seen to have profited from the war. And at the same time, the Spanish influenza had reached the Grand Duchy in October 1918, killing an estimated 1,000 people. The stage was thus set for mutiny. Back in Luxembourg, on the 9th of January 1919, Prime Minister Emil Reuter relayed the political situation to the Chamber of Deputies and, admitting his failure to hold talks with the French, offered his resignation. Seizing the moment, the same group of liberals and socialists in the Chamber of Deputies, who had almost forced Marie Adelaide out in November, now put forward a motion to make Luxembourg a republic. Simultaneously, outside the chamber, a crowd began to gather at the barracks of Luxembourg's military force, the Corps of Volunteers. Emile Survey, a left-wing politician, stepped out and demanded a republic in front of an estimated 2,000 people. The crowd then rushed to the chamber, where the overwhelmed deputies called on the Corps of Volunteers to clear the audience. At this point, the volunteers refused to obey orders. Suddenly, Luxembourg's admittedly very small military was in full-blown mutiny. In front of a crowd of anti-monarchists, the right-wing deputies fled the chamber, leaving those remaining to declare a committee of public safety with survey proclaimed president. The committee then proceeded to declare the Republic of Luxembourg, but the fledgling republic would be defeated before it ever got off the ground. The key player in all this was the French occupying force under General de la Tour. Amid the confusion surrounding the events of the day, French troops were ordered to secure government buildings in Luxembourg City. Now it's still unclear exactly why the French intervened, 
but it's worth remembering that governments and armies across Europe were terrified at the idea of socialist uprisings, following the example of the Bolsheviks in Russia. Not only that, but only four days previously, the Spartacist uprising led by Liebknecht and Luxembourg had taken over Berlin. Whatever their motive, the well-armed and disciplined French troops moved in, forcing the Luxembourgish volunteers to disperse and disarm. The French occupying force now took charge of Place d'Armes, Place Guillaume, the Chamber of Deputies and the barracks of the Corps of Volunteers, while banning any popular gatherings in the capital. The so-called Republic was crushed. It had no popular support on the streets and its leaders were unable to gain legitimacy from the use of official buildings. Regaining the upper hand, the right-wing deputies knew that only one course was left open to them, the abdication of Marie Adelaide. On January 14, 1919, the Grand Duchess thus duly abdicated, with her sister Charlotte taking her place the following day. The crisis had been diffused for now, but the political uncertainty was far from over. As the Great Powers convened for the Paris Peace Conference in 1919, the Luxembourg question remained completely open. But Luxembourg did have some cards up its sleeve. Firstly, the abdication of Mary Adelaide had removed one of the key sources of discontent with the Grand Duchy. Secondly, the new government could point to the efforts of the several thousand young men of Luxembourgish origin who had fought for the Allied forces during the war. And thirdly, significant Luxembourgish expatriate communities existed in both France and the United States, where they were able to put pressure on their respective governments to keep the Grand Duchy independent. But Luxembourg's fate remained essentially in the hands of the Allies, and especially French President Georges Clemenceau. When Belgian diplomats openly called for the annexation of Luxembourg, Clemenceau rejected them out of hand, although he did not want to aggravate relations with Belgium by demanding that the Grand Duchy become part of France. At a crucial moment, the government of Émile Reuter made a brilliant suggestion. In keeping with the principle of self-determination so beloved by American President Woodrow Wilson, Reuter proposed that a referendum should be held to decide Luxembourg's dynastic and economic future. Clemenceau agreed, and a referendum was thus organised for September 1919. In the Treaty of Versailles, therefore, Luxembourg's future was left to its population. The only clauses of the treaty, which was signed on the 28th of June 1919, to deal with the Grand Duchy were Articles 40 and 41, which stipulated that Germany would renounce its economic rights in Luxembourg and recognise the end of its neutrality. The Grand Duchy of Luxembourg had thus survived war and annexation. Its fate now lay in its own hands. After several delays, the referendum was eventually scheduled for the 28th of September 1919. The main question on the ballot would concern Luxembourg's political future. Voters were given four options. Firstly, to maintain the Grand Duchy under the new Grand Duchess Charlotte. Secondly, to maintain the Grand Duchy under a different monarch from the same Nassau dynasty. Thirdly, to maintain the Grand Duchy under a completely different dynasty. And fourthly, to create a republic. Meanwhile, the electorate that would make this vital choice had undergone a complete transformation. In May 1919, the Chamber of Deputies had granted universal suffrage to all Luxembourgers aged 21 and above, crucially including women. This lifted the total number of voters eligible to participate in the referendum from around the 34,000 who had voted in 1913 to more than 125,000. Unsurprisingly, there was a hard-fought campaign on both sides of this crucial referendum. Although socialists openly favoured a republic, the conservative elements of Luxembourgish society had been rattled by the instability of the previous years 
and no doubt the example of socialist revolution coming from the Bolsheviks, and campaigned hard for Charlotte. When the dust settled, the results of the 1919 referendum were abundantly clear. Of the 85,871 valid ballots cast in a turnout of 72%, 66,811, or 77.8%, of votes were in favour of keeping Charlotte as Grand Duchess of Luxembourg, with just 16,885, or 19.66%, voting for a republic. The tallies for the two other options were negligible. Only 1,286, or 1.5%, wanted another monarch from the reigning Nassau family, while 889, or 1.4%, opted for a change of dynasty. Grand Duchess Charlotte's reign was thus secured, and she would remain the ceremonial head of the Luxembourgish state until 1964, when she abdicated in favour of her son Jean. The political question was not the only referendum held on 28th of September 1919, however. A second unresolved issue revolved around the future of Luxembourg's economy. After leaving the German Solverein, the Grand Duchy was left in need of a new economic partner, and the voters were thus given two options. Firstly, an economic union with Belgium, or secondly, an economic union with France. This question, too, delivered a resounding result. 73% voted in favour of France, to only 27 for Belgium. But this result would prove harder to implement, and as we'll see another time, Luxembourg would indeed end up joining an economic union, with the Belgians. But the main point remained. Luxembourg had survived the chaos after the end of the First World War. Had it not, and I hate to say this, there may never have even been a Luxembourg history podcast. That's all we've got for today. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next episode of the Luxembourg History Podcast. This episode was researched, adapted, and hosted by Thomas Tutton. Brought to you by RTL Today.